Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 14 of the June and Joe show. Thanks to everyone who's watched us for 14 episodes. Yeah, it's great to be. It's great to be back. Great to see you. <laughs> and um, I think Joe's going to have this up on a podcast and he is trying his talents out at being our tech guru here at the show. <laughs> Yeah. So if you have any tech complaints, let me know. Uh, podcast should work soon once Apple cooperates. So hopefully it'll be out there pretty soon. Well, let's get right into um, some very local issues. Welcome to a very local episode of the June and Joe show, which is kind of what we wanted this to be about. So the San Diego city budget uh, meetings have concluded and the big issue in the news right now is libraries. What are your thoughts, Joe? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because, um, I mean, first of all, the city budget, one of the, when I ran for city council, I mean, one of the top questions I got that was on policy was, what, what are you going to cut? Because, you know, we were all predicting with COVID and, and significant decrease in tax revenue that um, there are going to be some deep cuts. And then, of course, the government, you know, federal government came in and all of a sudden uh, we're flush with cash again as a city. Uh, for the most part, but Mayor Gloria proposed a budget that slashed the library budgets and proposed to close libraries both Sundays and Mondays. And uh, not surprisingly, he heard from a number of city council members and from the community really upset about that. And in particular, because even though he blamed it on uh, trying to address a, st a structural deficit in the budget and trying to fix shortfalls in the budget, so many other things were actually being increased, including uh, San Diego Police Department budget, which I certainly support, but a lot of folks don't, uh, especially on the left. So there was a real head scratcher of, well, why are there not funds for the libraries anymore, but there's funds to increase so many other priorities in the budget. Uh, so it looks like Mayor Gloria is uh, retreating a bit and proposing to keep a lot of those positions and keep the libraries open for a longer period of time. It's the right move. I mean, I definitely thought rethinking how we deliver some of our city services so we could do it more efficiently was in order, but simply closing down all our libraries two days a week is, is not a good move. Well, I recently heard a criticism of Mayor Gloria in that he does not have kids and he is not a parent um, and doesn't really understand the needs of families. Um, and libraries are definitely something that are geared towards families. Um, and same goes for parks too. You know, it, those are essential city services that San Diego families rely upon and things that, um, they not necessarily have to have, but are a part of enjoyment and part of being a community. And some people tend to think that Mayor Gloria doesn't necessarily have his finger on the pulse of what families need. So I think that's a fair criticism. But um, the people I know who rely upon the library don't just need it for enjoyment. They need it for essential access to internet and information as well. I got skewered when I was a candidate for commenting on my opponents, uh, not my opponent not having kids and how that might uh, influence perception of priorities in our district, which is very heavy on families. Um, so I'm glad you said that and not me, because <laughs> uh, I don't need to be skewered on that issue again. Um, but I, but I think I think it's again a fair observation. It's not 
uh, it's not a criticism that someone doesn't have kids. Uh, it's just like as a male, I maybe don't know what it's like to be a woman uh, in this world. Uh, Mayor Gloria doesn't necessarily know what it's like to be a parent. Uh, and by the way, I didn't know if he did or didn't have kids, but I, I'm assuming he, he doesn't based on what you said. But I think you're right. And the last point you made is critical, which is it's not just to check out books. It is the place where a lot of uh, kids access the internet so that they can do certain schoolwork or do certain research for school. Uh, for a lot of kids, it's a quiet place where they can do their homework. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a place where they can meet someone to, to get some extra tutoring or community tutors. Um, it's, it's a, it's a community, it's a vital community resource, particularly in underserved communities or, or less, um, lower socioeconomic communities in our city and our region. So, you know, it is, uh, it is important to keep them open as much as you can, um, and make sure that, uh, it, it doesn't take the first cut in a budget. Right. At the very essence in those underprivileged communities, it's a safe space for kids to go and to shut them down two days a week is could be detrimental. Um, but I think there's a lot of talk in the budget too, and it's probably a discussion that's going to continue for many years to come, the issue of equity and fairness and how those public services and essential services are funded and whether money that is revenue streams that come from a particular district, should the district keep the money that comes from their community or should it be parsed out to more underprivileged communities? And I know that's going to be a really hot topic going forward in the city as well. It is. And, you know, I was always, I always push back a little bit on that notion um, because again, the, the districts, city council districts, or any districts you're looking at, assembly districts, county dist- county board districts, those are all political boundaries. And it doesn't necessarily consider the reality of how people live their lives or how convenient it is for, you know, someone might go regularly to the grocery store that crosses into a different district, um, or to a park that crosses into a different district. And so, you know, when you're looking at access to services, um, I think it's important not to, not to be constrained by the the political boundaries that are drawn. So. Well, we all want San Diego to be the best that it can be and fingers crossed that, um, we head in the right direction on these issues, but, um, let's kind of talk about the overarching issue of COVID-19 and, how numbers are reported. You recently shared a New York Times article with me. Why don't you tell the folks about it a little bit? Yeah, this is my Joe's fired up for the week. Uh, <laughs> so um, Joe I guess gets it was, fired up once a week about something. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was on Tuesday, the New York Times reported um, on COVID numbers, in particular on the CDC's uh, data point on the number of outdoor transmissions of COVID. And the CDC number is less than 10% is, is the CDC number, which first blush, I thought that sounds pretty good. doesn't sound like a whole lot. The New York Times, not known to be a conservative rag. It's definitely one that, that typically is viewed as a little bit left-leaning, if anything. Uh, basically said the CDC's number, while accurate, is an exaggeration. Um, I think you know, the example they gave was something like uh, in the article was something like, well, it's true to say that less than 25,000 sharks kill humans every year. That is true. It is less than 25,000, but it's significantly less. And the number they say is probably less than 0.1% 
of transmissions occur outside. Uh, and, and honestly, one of the, I don't even, I shouldn't say I don't know where they get that number from. It's, it's an approximation, even that number. But the, the line from the article that I thought was so significant is this one. It says, quote, there is not a single documented COVID infection anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world from casual outdoor interactions, such as walking past someone on a street or eating at a nearby table. In the entire world, not a single documented COVID infection from casual interaction outside. So the the they are saying there are COVID infections outside, but it tends to be you know crowded spaces um, as opposed to you know running by someone on the sidewalk while you're while you're working out. Um, so th- this again it definitely fired me up. Part of the way they get their number, which still doesn't even go to ten anywhere near ten percent, is all the outdoor cases. Uh, are from construction sites in Singapore, of all places. So that should scratch, make someone scratch their head and say, why would this, why would they be construction sites in Singapore? Well, it turns out they had to classify these construction sites either outdoor or indoor. And even though uh, the outdoor, the building itself was complete and the construction was being done indoors, they were classifying those as outdoors. So it just shows you how data can be manipulated, uh, how the CDC is not always right, or it doesn't always uh, give data that uh, paints the entire picture. And, uh, and, and we should have, we should question the numbers that we're hearing and, and make sure they make sense. I think that there is so much to question coming out of the CDC over the last year to 15 months. And um, it's really disheartening that the source that so many Americans are relying upon is manipulating the data in a manner that not only is unfair to the facts, but instills a sense of fear into the American people, which is completely unnecessary and uncalled for. I saw a child today, probably a middle schooler, walking out of my neighborhood to school all alone with a mask on. And it just kind of broke my heart. But if you think about it from the parent's perspective, they're probably listening to that CDC data and trying to protect their child on their way to school and telling that child to wear the mask, even though they're all alone because they might walk by somebody on the street. Um, It's kind of like, what have we done? What has the CDC by manipulating this data done um, to the psyche of American families and American children? Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, it's unfortunate because, you know, the New York times uh, later in the week reported that uh, one of the biggest challenges right now to keeping COVID rates down and particularly um, in other, some other countries is either access to the to the vaccine or people's willingness to take the vaccine. And so the more the government is saying, well, you, even if you take the vaccine, you, you've got to limit outdoor interactions and masks outdoors, which actually the CDC said, if you're vaccinated, you don't need to have your mask outdoors. Uh, Nathan Fletcher disagrees because apparently when we weren't looking, he got his uh, PhD in some field of science and knows better. Um, Nathan but- can keep his mask on. That's fine. Yeah, actually, I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather he keep his mask on. Um, but, you know, again, I think that's, I mean, my kids going to school, my son was so excited because they're rotating the playground for different classes. So they're limiting interaction outside. He was so excited. They finally got to to play on the field portion of the playground, um, which to your point is just sad that we're so restricted in ways 
that are not supported by the science. And I've said long since long ago, I'm glad that we overreacted initially as opposed to underreacted. You wouldn't want to look back and say, wow, we should have done more and we didn't. But pretty quickly, and I mean within a matter of a couple of weeks, I think we had we started to have enough data to realize we were overreacting. And instead of our governments uh, across the country, you know, scaling back and and following the science, uh, they kept things ratcheted down. And it seems like they're still doing that. Well, as California, especially, thank you, Governor Newsom. Um, but real quick, let's talk about something that's kind of come out of the COVID era, and that's outdoor dining. Um, we're so lucky to live in San Diego where the weather actually permits outdoor dining for the vast majority of the year. But now that COVID, I guess people think it's ta- tapering down. So what are we going to do about all the restaurants that invested in outdoor dining structures? Yeah. And it's a tricky issue because they were able to get through or around permitting issues being temporary structures. If they're going to become permanent, then I think consumers are expecting that the government has played a role and permitted and made sure that these things are safe, that some heater is not going to fall down from the ceiling that's that's there. I mean, frankly, I'd like to think that that wasn't going to happen on a temporary basis either, but it does create some some issues there. Uh, my big thing too is the outdoor spaces, uh, the outdoor parking spaces that may have been taken up. Um, you know, I, I've always, uh, my adult life, been an advocate for those disabilities, and so I think it's important to make sure we have enough access for people with disabilities um, in terms of parking. So there, there it's it's a complicated issue. I went to dinner last night actually, and uh, one of our favorite sushi places, and they only had a couple tables open inside, and then their outside tables. And I thought, are they? Are they not opening up fully inside because they're able to limit their rent payment still uh, by not being fully open? So I don't know the answer to that, um, but you know I think they may have an argument that COVID is still impacting their business if they're not opening fully inside. And I don't necessarily like that either. It was a little chilly, so we wanted to sit inside. <laughs> Um, so there's a lot of issues here to think about. I don't know. In the last few seconds, what do you think, June? I think that there is so much we need to consider with the restaurant industry, but I like outdoor dining and I hope that there's a compromise we can reach between just doing whatever you want without a permit, but still allowing some flexibility to maintain an outdoor space. We'll see how this kind of resolves itself as I'm sure it eventually will. But unfortunately, we are out of time. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Good to see you, June. Good to see you. Take care.